Hello there, and thanks for listening in to our Die of Matthew study. Die of Matthew is the dive study that began it all. Throughout February of 2019, lives were changed and the scriptures came alive to a group of about 50 people as they dove into the book of Matthew, all 28 chapters in 28 days. It moved at a fast clip, but even with that rigorous pace, it became clear that it was worth pursuing an ongoing ministry based on these studies. This is how Dive Collective began. Our new dive studies will be formatted differently, but the process of inductive study remains the same. So as you listen through the book of Matthew, know that we are waiting to welcome you into our current live dive studies where we engage with our Bible study members and dive in at a manageable pace for study. You can find everything you need to know at divecollective.org under our studies tab. Enjoy your time in Dive Matthew, and we hope you'll join us in real time soon. So welcome to Dive Matthew, where we're going to be doing 28 chapters of Matthew in 28 days. For the first study, you're going to want to download our dive guide at www.divecollective.org in our shop under free downloads. Dive studies are our version of inductive Bible study. This particular study of Matthew was the first one we did back in 2019. I hosted that dive guide in a different format on a different website at the time, but now if you want to join in and see how to do a dive study before committing to join us live, you'll want to go ahead and go to divecollective.org to download and get started. So we're going to go ahead and read through the 10th chapter of Matthew. If you'd like to skip ahead because you've already read the chapter, you can go ahead and do that now. You're going to want to jump back in at approximately the 4 minute and 40 second mark. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who has ears listen. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done, because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Cherazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For the miracles that were done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. 
For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to pause at that last portion that you just read. I, this is, I did not study this, but again, we have the fortune of doing these podcasts, these later podcasts, after having some discussion. That last portion about it is to take up my yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he specifically before that is talking about how God chose not to reveal it to the wise and intelligent, but he's letting these infants see the glory of God, basically, in Jesus. And it makes me think of one of our Bible study members and what you were talking to her about and that idea that it's not about knowing about him. It's not about Bible knowledge and it's not about collecting all of the information so that you can be smarter in Bible. It's about building the relationship with him first and the knowledge comes after that. I feel like that's exactly what Jesus is saying is just rest, Mm -hmm. just rest in me and rest in your relationship with me and don't strive for more religious knowledge or more religion in general. Just just rest in me. And that, that emphasis over and over and over again that we're having, that it's about that relationship with him. And it's about the intimacy that he wants us to have with him first and foremost, and everything after that follows. It reminds me of the other, the conversation about, um, anxiety and carrying our own burdens and, Mm -hmm. um, that image of the toddler saying, here, you carry this for me Mm -hmm. and how he delights to. And he's basically saying, let's, let's trade burdens. Mine's easy and light. You carry mine, yes. and I'll carry yours. Yes, it's funny because that same person is the one that's mm-hmm. driving to, you know, wants, feels like yeah. she should know more, and yet she's the one that probably gets it better than maybe yeah. the rest of us right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's exciting, very exciting. All right, I'm going to jump back to my observations that I got when I originally did this, Chapter 11. My observations, a lot of what I'm getting comes from Jesus' relationship to John the Baptist here, which I think is a big portion of the chapter. What was John's relationship with Jesus and in what capacity did he know him? And I I think it makes sense to me now more why I had that question because it was clear at the beginning of the passage, John clearly knew who Jesus was and that he was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yes, but then you can't read the beginning of this chapter and go, wait, did he? Right. Like, Or didn't he? And so this So I observe then that John is in prison and he's asking Jesus, he's asking his servants to go ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or if he should be waiting for the one to come. So then that obviously, that observation then led to my interpretation questions, which again were, did John know or why did he send messengers to ask that question? And what I had come up with was based on Jesus's response, which was to send back word that he was doing all of the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. He says, he basically tells them to report the miracles that he'd done, but several things about that were about the fulfillment of mm-hmm. what the Messiah was supposed to do. And it made me think about one of the other things that the Messiah was supposed to do that Jesus didn't list there was to set the prisoners free. 
John's probably sitting in prison, looking at death, staring death in the face, and maybe even pondering the purpose of his life while he's there. And so maybe there's all those questions, like that doubt that kind of creeps in. Even if the Holy Spirit, if you know in your spirit that something's true, your flesh in worry and in insecurity can make you wonder if you really know what you think you know. So that was the one interpretation. But then if you follow on, another observation that I made, if we go back, is that after Jesus sends back word, he spends the whole next portion of the chapter defending John. That whole part of the next chapter is to talk to the people, all those people, to affirm that John has fulfilled the purpose that he was called to fulfill and proving that John fulfilled everything that he was intended to fill, that there's nobody greater than John that was ever born of man, Jesus says. That's quite the affirmation. Mm-hmm. And by default, he's proving himself as the Messiah too, right? right. He's saying, well, John did what he was supposed to do and what he was supposed to do was prepare the way for me. Right. I'm here. Okay. So, but then I'm even picturing like the messengers are gone. He sent the messengers back to John. And so now almost completely separate from proving to John, he's Mm -hmm. not proving to John John that he fulfilled his purpose. It's all, I guess I feel like what it feels like to be the guy that is wondering whether I did what I, everything that I was supposed to be doing. And while I'm in prison and I am suffering and I'm questioning everything, Jesus is, apart from me, separate from me that I don't even know about. We can almost yeah. trust that when we are feeling insecure or when we're feeling questioning whether all of the poured out life that we have for Jesus meant anything, we can be sure that there's a whole separate work and mission of God taking place that our life meant something. Mm-hmm. Like our lives mean something when we're doing it in the ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's me looking at the application of what that means for me in relationship to God. But what does that mean in relationship, in God's relationship to us? And that he is our defender. He is our fortress. He is our, he's the one doing all of the work. It reminds me of the high priest image in Hebrews too, that Jesus is our high priest. And he's also the one that's defending us before God, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's, he's telling, he's, he's the one that's affirming our value to him. Right. And covering us in in himself so that we have that place. Yeah. I think that's the bulk of what I have for the John portion. This might be a little bit of an aside, but it also makes me think too about John's life was valuable because of Jesus, basically. Mm -hmm. Jesus is what made what his work was worthwhile. His whole work was about Jesus. His whole work Mm -hmm. was about Jesus. And so even that, like I look at that and I see how much our lives should revolve around Jesus, like his everything, anything that we do, of value, right, is that, because of him. Yeah, yes. it's all like John's whole purpose. If he was, if Jesus had not been who he said he was, mm-hmm. then, I mean, John's life purpose was pointless. Like he didn't really have one. And so, even when I think about the things like you were talking about, the things that we do, Jesus is the one that gives that purpose. Yep, it's and a signs of value, right? And, and a signs of value. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of go in a direction there that makes you think that unless you're in ministry or unless you're completely countercultural. Right. I mean, we can go to the extremes of interpretation here, but I don't think that's the point. I think we can do a lot of things for the ministry of the gospel, but those things that we do don't matter unless the spirit calls us to do those Mm -hmm. things. And the spirit can call us to do any number of bizarre spirit led things, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. If somebody says that God's calling them to dance 
for Jesus. Like, right. There's no box that it has to yeah, fit Yeah, there's no box. It's, so it doesn't have to look like being a pastor or a missionary. or And I think a lot of people do believe that, that being a missionary is the um, calling of the all callings. Yeah. And, that's, and anything short of that is just a little less than in yeah. the kingdom. And that's not how that works. Nope. Jesus, John just... Um, completely and utterly obeyed Jesus Mm -hmm. or or the spirit of God. And that's what I think is what elevates him again to the, (laughs) I mean, it's basically what we were talking about in the other podcast, like the amount that you, to the degree that you know God, you can rest in him. And then he elevates us, not based on what we do, but. But even thinking like elevating us is not necessarily what we always think it is. Because like John's sitting here in prison. (laughs) Which is exactly the point, is right. that he, you know Jesus, John's in prison, experiencing the worst that our life could possibly offer, and yet Jesus is out in the. That's ex- yes, that's the point that I wanted to get to, which is that we can be in the worst of all places and trust that Jesus is that our devotion to Him is worth it. Can you read that portion where it's where Jesus denounces the towns? Um, I'll start in verse 16. Mm-hmm. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Trazen, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. I kind of love Jesus' sarcasm. <laughs> in verse verses 18 and 19, he's basically saying, John came not eating and drinking, and you accused him of being having a demon, and then I come and I'm eating and drinking, and you say, I'm a glutton. Like, <laughs> nobody can win with you guys. <laughs> I just like seeing those little aspects of Jesus' humanity, maybe, yes. coming through. Yes, and I, I don't... I just make all kinds of connections when I see, when I read that part, and especially that part in connection with where he says, woe to the whatever towns, and he says, if the miracles that had been done mm-hmm. in Sodom, um, in you had been right. done in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is no, they're known as the ultimate sinners of all mm-hmm. time and were destroyed, had been done in you, it would be saved until this day. And Jesus knows that. That's kind of crazy to think that in the most sinful place... <laughs> If his miracles had done, been done, they'd be saved. But in the most righteous place, these right. same miracles, basically, Jesus had just done some miracles among the Pharisees. And the Pharisees basically said that he was doing it by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus responds, basically, that that is the blasphemy of the, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So it, attributing the works of God to anything except the Holy Spirit is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. Is just that idea that these wisdom will be vindicated by her deeds. And I think there's so much here that I really should study. I probably will cut all of this because I kind of, I'm afraid I'm reaching a little, but I want, these are my actual thoughts on this passage. It makes me think of that whole 
my whole liver failure experience and that idea that the passage where Jesus says to the centurion, wait, and you want me to go to your home? Like, are you crazy? Like, I'm a Jewish man. I don't, it's pretty bold for you to ask me to go to your home. And then the centurion says, no, you don't have to go. You just, you can say the word and it'll be done. And then Jesus is amazed by that. And, and the other woman that says that um, she comes and she asks for healing. And Jesus says that he didn't come for her. And I don't remember what his exact words were, but she says, you know, even the dogs get the scraps from the table. And so Jesus is amazed by her faith as well. And then he heals her. And so this led me to thinking about the fact that when we... Jesus is coming for the people that were supposed to be ready for him, like the people that were supposed to know him, the people that had the law and were being raised according to the law. And then he's coming to save them and make them free from the law. So when he did these miracles, the idea was that it wasn't just the miracle. It wasn't just the superficial cleansing. It was actually supposed to be the holy soul cleansing work that he was doing. And that soul cleansing work would make more sense for people who knew the depth of their rotten souls. I think about my liver failure experience and think if he hadn't healed my soul, would I have been as grateful for the miracle itself? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So what what I have written, this is what was on my mind as an application to that part, is that Jesus can perform miracles in our lives and it can do absolutely nothing for our souls. When Jesus is at work in our flesh and bones, he's most concerned with the condition of our hearts, repentance and our sin so that he can cleanse our souls. And then that obviously that led me into just a long prayer of gratitude for the, what he actually came for. Because yes, while he cleanses our flesh and bones, our souls are, are his greatest concern. And that's, I think what he's talking about here is that he's, um, he came for these the least of these, the people whose souls were open to being cleansed. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of rambling, but. I kind of love that even in that Jesus recognizes our humanity. Like there are so many, and you can see, like you said, as we, like, as we look at all these people that were healed of whatever disease or physical issue that they had, some of them, it sound, it seems like some of them believe, but then some of them just kind of go off and like their souls are not healed, mm-hmm. like their bodies are. And so it doesn't, that physical healing does not always make us recognize our need of soul healing. But I love that Jesus does the physical healing because we mm-hmm. are so tangible. Like we, we mm-hmm. want that evidence as people. And so I feel like he's, he's giving us, well, even like he says to the Pharisees when he, um, the lame man that gets up and walks, like when mm-hmm. we were talking about the other day, he forgives his sin mm-hmm. and that's the thing that he needed. And yet to prove to the Pharisees that he could forgive sins, he, he heals his legs too. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that. It reminds me of that verse where it talks about it's in Psalms where he remembers that we are dust. Mm-hmm. He gives us tangible reasons to believe in the things that aren't tangible mm-hmm. that he does for us. And it doesn't always work. I mean, people still choose to reject him. Right. Sometimes we still choose to not see the spiritual because of the physical. But I like that he remembers that we're dust. Yeah. What you're talking about is the fact that, that, that he does heal our physical bodies and it's a picture. It's usually mm-hmm. a picture of what he's doing on a deeper level. That was definitely the case for me when if I look back at the whole near-death experience, 
what he chose to illustrate what was happening in my soul was literally bile building up the most bitter substance in our entire bodies was all building up and mm-hmm. i was throwing it up at the same time that i'm at the same time that he's clean, cleansing me of bitterness and unforgiveness he's also illustrating it in that build up our liver is what cleanses our body of this bitterness and baptism is just a specific it's an illustration mm-hmm. of something so much more spiritual and bigger yeah. everything that he that's does that's a perfect word is illustration he gives us illustration yes yeah. these things that we do are illustrations and so i think about john in prison what's god do what's jesus doing with john in prison there's or the paralytic what was what was going on and what was the sin going on in him and did it how much of it of him giving him the ability to walk was an illustration how was it related to what was going on in his uh, soul or the blind man who can't see what's that have to so so much of our souls can't see you know yeah such great illustrations uh, that god gives us i want to wrap up the i'm just going to read the application that i have for john the baptist too because i think that that's i think this is a good wrap up for that there are things we know jesus can do yet he doesn't I think Jesus sent back confirmation to John that he was the Messiah. I'm guessing that it comforted him to get a a literal word from the Lord. Um, When he's not doing what we want him to do or what we know he can do or is capable of, it can be so comforting to get word from him that he's still exactly who we know him to be. And so often when we don't see him at work, he's affirming our work for him when we can't even tell and when we can feel like it may be all a loss. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dive Matthew. If you enjoyed our version of Inductive Bible Study and want to join our community of people all working on the same book of the Bible together, come check us out at divecollective.org and sign up for one of our current live dive studies. We believe you'll find a welcoming community, one where you'll be challenged, inspired, and uplifted. Come and see.